We are wrapping up the series, You Had One Job. And I'm going to begin today's message in a completely non-work-related area. One of the great blessings of my life has been and was particularly the grandparents that I was blessed with. How many of you have had great grandparents in your life? I don't mean like great grandparents biologically, I mean like wonderful grandparents, you know what I'm saying? I mean, my, I was blessed on both sides. I got to know both my dad's parents and my mom's parents, and I was especially close with my mom's parents, Mimi and Big Mac. And Mimi and Big Mac played a massive role in our lives growing up in Houston. They lived in Beaumont, Texas, the beautiful Golden Triangle of Texas. And if you've ever been to that part of the world, you understand irony. But Mimi and Big Mac were a huge part of my life. And so when Julie and I began dating and knew that we were on a course for marriage, it was such an incredible gift to see how well they hit it off, especially Julie and my grandmother. They got along so well. The first time that I ever took Julie to Beaumont to visit them, she and my grandmother sat out on the front step of their house at 747 Amarillo and talked for hours. It was amazing. And as Julie and I drove back to Houston kind of recapping the weekend, I said, man, you and Mimi talked forever. She goes, Mac, it was fascinating. I learned so much about like when your mom was growing up and her grandmother lived in the same house with them and what that was like. And Mimi told me about like when your mom and dad started dating and then got married and then kind of how Mimi handled it when your parents got divorced and everything. It was fascinating. And we were just kind of, you know, kicking it on the way back to Houston when Julie said very, very, you know, apropos of nothing. It wasn't even prompted. She said, oh, and then Mimi told me about how her mom got mad because she started dating Big Mac because he had been divorced before. <laughs> now I'm driving down Interstate 10, minding my own business. But internally, I hear screeching tires and like a, a, a record player needle being dragged. And I tried to be really calm, and I was like, what? She goes, well, you know, Big Mac was married before Mimi. I said, you shut your mouth. Big Mac loved one woman his whole life. They've been married for 50 years, and that's my grandmother. At least I said that internally. I didn't say it out loud. And Julie looked at me. She goes, you didn't know? You didn't know Big Mac was married before? Hey, can I just tell you, I was 21 years old, and apparently it just slipped everybody's mind to tell me that my grandfather had been married to some strange woman before my grandmother. Whew. I still get a little amped up when I think about that moment. But all of us know that it can be so disorienting to discover something we have believed to be true is actually completely false. It is not real. We, we know what that feels like. And today, you and I are going to have a ball because we are going to tackle one of the most pervasive myths in our world. 
So many people believe the myth that if we would just calendar a little more carefully, if we could just prioritize a little more decisively and diligently, then we might actually achieve, we might actually rise to the level of consciousness known as work-life balance. So many of us are chasing work-life balance. And even if we're not deliberately chasing after it, there's something in the back of our minds. We've heard the term enough. We think, man, it actually exists somewhere. It's, it's kind of like Bigfoot. We, we've heard about it. There may be some grainy images or pictures that make us think it's actually a real thing, and yet it remains so elusive. It remains just out of reach, just beyond our experience and our grasp. And I have the unmitigated pleasure to be the one who gets to tell you this morning that work-life balance is a myth. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Tell your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm, it don't exist. It's not even a thing. The good news the good news is that we are created for something much more than work-life balance. As a matter of fact, more specifically, the good news of Jesus calls us, it compels us to pursue something so much more profound, so much more satisfying on a soul-deep level. And before we get into what that thing really is, I think it's important for us to remember as we wrap up this series, you had one job. Kind of where we've been throughout this series, because where we've been is preparatory for where we are. You'll remember in the first week of this series, we said that all of us, you, me, all God's children have one job in the world. You were created like I was created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This, this is our job. This is our one job. No matter what you do every day, if you get up and go into the marketplace or you stay at home in the home place, or if you're a student, every one of us is created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our job description. Second week of this series, Bill Jones told us so eloquently that our job description sets us up to change how we work, that, that in order for us to really and truly experience true job satisfaction, we have to change how we work, and a relationship with Christ compels us to do that. Last week, we looked at job security, and the, the fact that job security is rooted in the confidence that God will provide when he is glorified, and that's our job security in the gospel, in a relationship with Jesus. Now today, as we wrap up this series, we're, we're moving into kind of the, the final installment of what God wants to pour into our lives and, by the way, what God wants to see pour out of our lives Monday through Saturday. You see, here's the danger. The danger is that you and I would walk out of here today and it's just another Sunday. This is just, a, just another sermon, and 
you go home, like maybe I go, sometimes I go home and I, I, I kind of, I just evaluate the sermon. And, and I, and I kind of, I get so tunnel visioned, I think, you know, this is going to determine how much God loves me and whether or not he's happy or mad at me by just how the sermon was. Some of you go home, it's like, well, that was about a six. It was okay, but he's done better. I've got a really good friend who says, you know, half of our congregations go home every week to a lunch of roast preacher. But I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you this morning not to, not to only evaluate, but I want to challenge you to implement, to, to apply what God has for us this morning, to actually put it into practice, to, to put it to, to good use in good faith throughout this coming week. And this, this fourth installment, as we, as we debunk the myth of work-life balance, the fact of the matter is that because of number one, that, that first installment, that we are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever, Jesus calls us not to work-life balance, but to work-life fusion, to a work-life fusion where we fuse our faith to every part of our lives. We, we fuse our faith especially to our work. Now, I'm a communications major. I went to seminary. I'm not a big science guy per se, but I do remember the term fusion and, and I actually looked it up. This is what Wikipedia says about fusion. And I love Wikipedia because Wikipedia is a place on the internet where anyone, any place can write down anything so you know you're always getting the best information. But I love, I love a good Michael Scott reference whenever possible. This is what Wikipedia says about nuclear fusion. In nuclear physics, nuclear fusion is a reaction in which two or more atomic nuclei come close enough to form one or more different atomic nuclei and subatomic atomic particles, neutrons and or protons. Duh. <laughs> the difference in mass between the products and the reactants is manifested as the release of large amounts of energy. What happens nuclearly, say that word five times quickly, what happens nuclearly represents an even greater spiritual reaction. When you and I fuse our faith to our life, when we fuse our life to our work, there is a nuclear spiritual reaction that releases vast amounts of energy and power and light in a world that is desperately dying for energy and power and light. When we see every single thing that we do as an expression of our faith, as an expression of worship of the God who created us, of the God who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that releases power through our work. And it's that fusion of work and life in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ that fulfills one of the greatest pronouncements, one of the most profound declarations that Jesus ever made. In the book of John, chapter 10, Jesus said this about his own job description, about his own 
fusion of life and work. He said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to, to destroy. But I have come that they might have life to the full. Life to the full. Life overflowing. Life abundant. And when Jesus talks about life, he, he's talking about the fullness of life. He's not just talking about existence, carbon-based, air-breathing, water-needing life. He's talking about the life that is truly life, that, that life that is full of purpose, of peace, of passion, of purity. That's the life that Jesus Christ went to the cross to enable you and me to live. That's the life that Jesus went through the cross into the resurrection and rose again so that you and I could experience life to the full, even in our work lives. And so we're not here for work-life balance. Everybody do this. Just put your hand up like this. Just put your hand up like this. Now, I want you to kind of seesaw your hand like this. How many of y'all remember riding on a seesaw in a playground when you were a kid? I used to love me some teeter-totter. Balance is boring. Balance is dull. Balance is static. Balance doesn't move. Balance, ultimately, biologically, balance is death. We find and experience life through movement, through dynamic, through back and forth. Man, if we lived 365 days a year in summer, that's called a desert. If we live 365 days a year in winter, that's called the frozen tundra. But it's that back and forth that generates life. And so it's that back and forth, that dynamic that we're looking for in this work life. We're not after balance. When we think we're looking for, life, for work life balance, I would suggest to you what we're really looking for is work life peace. As we fuse together work and life and faith and life, what we're really looking for is, is, is peace. I wonder, as we wrap up the month of January, which doesn't even seem possible, January is already over, but is there anybody in the room who has, in the last two weeks, thought to yourself or, or gotten frustrated without even consciously realizing it over how busy you are. Let me just see a show of hands. Thank you for your honesty. Those of you not raising your hands, we have support groups called Liars Anonymous. <laughs> but it's, it's part of the human condition. We all struggle with this. We all wrestle with it. And it's against that backdrop that God calls us, as I said, to something greater, something higher, something more fulfilling than just balance. He calls us to this fusion, to to really and truly experience this peace. And today to get at this, as we said, you know, we're, every time we gather, we want to proclaim and explain. We want to proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus for, for those of us who already know him personally, to, to be reminded just how good he is and his grace and his truth. But we also proclaim it for those who maybe don't yet know him personally. They may know about him, but they don't know him. But then we also want to explain how to live out this faith. How do we make this a reality day in and day out, minute by minute, 
24-7. And to, to get at this idea of peace, we're going to the book of Philippians today. In Philippians chapter number 4, God provides for us some, some principles and some precepts that if we will put into practice, we will see the peace of God release the power of God in that spiritual fusion reaction that we're talking about. Philippians chapter number four, this is what the Bible says, verse six and seven. Don't worry about anything. Say anything. anything. Okay, time out. This is the 11 o'clock service. Everybody in this room slept longer than the people who came at 9.30. You have had plenty of time to get properly caffeinated, warm up your vocal cords. There are a lot more of y'all than are here at 9.30, as a matter of fact. So, you've got to help a brother out. Everybody say anything. anything. That's what I'm talking about. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Say everything. everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here, here's, here's what's going on here. very first thing that you see is that in a relationship with Christ, in, in gospel living, day in and day out, we are called, we're created to collaborate with God. To collaborate with God. That's a phenomenal concept. To, to collaborate. I, I love what people say about the, the younger generation, the millennials. That millennials are highly collaborative. They love to partner together to work in teams much more so than their predecessors did. And, and I listen, I know there's a lot of literature and commentary out there about millennials. Here's what I think. I don't believe that millennials are that different from everybody else. They've just got more tools and toys and distractions than we had. But that was true for us compared to our parents and older generations. Millennials are just younger people who are in the process of growing up and maturing, which, by the way, we all are, I thought. But I digress. We're here to collaborate with God. What does it say? It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Now, you've got spiritual challenges. I have spiritual challenges. There are things that come easier for you than they do for me. But I think we can all agree that worry, stress, anxiety, whatever, whatever label you want to put on it, is pretty common to all. All of us worry about something to some degree or another. And yet the Bible tells us don't worry about anything. Don't worry about it. Now, that doesn't mean that what you're worried about is not real. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't think about it or strategize about how to deal with it. But it says don't worry about it. Instead, pray to God about everything. Pray about everything. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of us in the room, as you think about the week ahead, 
You think about, man, getting up and going on Monday morning, maybe going to school, going into the classroom tomorrow. How many of us in the week ahead have something that we are not looking forward to or that we just wish we didn't have to do in the week ahead? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, now hold on. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I want you to look around the room. Look how many people are in the same boat you're in. Now, we don't celebrate that. I don't look at you and go, oh, man, that's awesome. I, I, hope, you, that, you know, I hope that your week isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. It means that, it means that we're not alone. We're not alone. We've all got things that, that are on our minds. We've all got things that we're, at least to some degree, worried about. And yet, God tells us, he calls us to pray about everything. Now, prayer Prayer is a hard deal because a lot of us think prayer is this, this super mystical, wildly mysterious, hard to understand. What do you do? I don't even know the King James. When in reality, it's just collaborating with God. In reality, it's just the opportunity to co-labor with God. That's what collaborating means. It means that you labor with God. God. So think about that thing that you're not excited about in the week ahead. Think about that thing that you're kind of like, man, if I could just like dish that to somebody else, that would be awesome. Instead, look at it as an opportunity to co-labor, to collaborate with God. And so before you collaborate, before you co-labor with somebody, you need to have a meeting. You, you need to have a, a, a brainstorming a, a game filming or a strategy sesh. You collaborate with God. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. But pray about everything, which then feeds us into this next part of it. We also communicate with God. We collaborate with God. We work with him. But in order to do that, we got to communicate with God. Communicating with God. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Tell God what you need. Just tell him. And some of you think, well, I don't, man, I, I hadn't prayed in a long time. If I start telling God what I need, that's kind of a bad place to start. The Bible tells you to. God, God in his holy scriptures says, tell God what you need. And, everybody say and. And. Thank him for all he has done. See, it's, it's both. Both and. Tell him what you need and thank him for what he's done. I, I'm not really sure why this is, but, but right now, between like the beginning of November and I'm going to say the end of March of this window on the calendar, Julie and I right now are in the vortex of one of the craziest, busiest times of our lives. I, I really thought, y'all, I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. I thought when we shipped our kids off to college, there'd be a little chill factor associated with it. I was wrong. Right now, it is nuts. But Julie said something to me this week that was so profound in the midst of the frenzy, she said, you know, Mac, I, I, was, I was praying this morning. I said, that doesn't make you more spiritual than me. 
And then I said, actually, I think it does, but go ahead. Because I hadn't prayed that morning. But she said, I was, as I was praying, I just realized, I sensed that I don't want to miss what we're in the midst of. I don't want to miss everything that God's doing right now because we've had some incredible, incredible blessings and victories just in January. Just, just to know about it and hear about some of what God's doing in people's lives, to see that happen, to see several marriages rescued from the rocks, to see several families restored. That, that can never become commonplace. That can never become old hat. We, we need to celebrate that. And certain things that we've gotten to experience as a family that we've enjoyed and, and blessings that we've had. We, and she said, I just realized God's doing some amazing things, and I was overwhelmed by his goodness to us. And so I kind of stopped and took stock, and, I, and I, we just kind of said, yeah. We, and we had a little celebration there, just, just the two of us, celebrating God's goodness. But it was, that, it was that stopping. It was that communicating with God. Now, this is a great example of hearing from God. You might have heard that term, and that sounds weird. Julie didn't hear an audible voice, and yet there was something in her mind, in her heart, in her, in her spirit that, that was reminded, hey, God's good all the time, no matter how busy you are. But it was that stopping to, to listen, to pray, to, to hear God kind of stir something inside and to quicken our hearts and to communicate back to him gratitude and thankfulness and and worship and then to continue the work and to continue doing what we're supposed to be doing and get back on the highway and, and moving fast and working hard but it's that communicating yes we collaborate with him and we work with him but we also got to communicate with him we pray about everything everything but then check this out we collaborate we communicate but we also participate with God we participate with God in everything remember that from Philippians it says tell God what you need thank him for all he has done then say then yeah. so it's after it, it's it's after we've thanked him it's after we've communicated with him then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Then we will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand or explain. And His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. That word guard in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, that word guard is a military term. It's a, it's a standing guard around your heart and your mind. So if I worry, if I fear, if I, if I feel anxious, then I communicate, 
but I make sure that I'm participating with God in everything that I'm doing. Our daughter, who's a senior in college, is at the College of Charleston in South Carolina, and Charleston is a phenomenal city. It's a beautiful place. It's an old, old historic city, and there's a, a feature of the city that is on the southernmost end of the peninsula that sticks into Charleston Harbor, and it's known as the Battery. It, it, was, it was that part of Charleston which historically was lined with cannons to guard the rest of the city from approaching invaders or pirates or rebels coming into Charleston. So these cannons formed the battery along this seawall in Charleston. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, is a battery around your life around your mind and your heart, where, where our enemy tries to infiltrate and, and pirate our peace and, and overthrow the authority of God and undermine the love of Jesus. The peace of God is a battery against all of those things. The peace of God that passes all understanding. It can be a little disorienting to discover something that you thought was real is not. Discover it doesn't even exist. For about 10 minutes, I was very disoriented when I found out that my grandfather had been married before my grandmother. That was a little disorienting. I was a little upset that Julie found out about it before I did, but that was my own issue to resolve and work through, and I did, and it was fine. But then I stopped and I considered the reality. The reality was, Mimi and Big Mac were married eventually for 53 years. That was real. That actually happened. And that reality, that actuality, was that much sweeter to me. It was that much more powerful to me when I looked at their lives together and knew what they had overcome, what they had come through. And it was because of that reality that I even had a reality. You see, when you discover what is actually real, and it is different than what you thought was real before, it becomes that much sweeter. It becomes that much more powerful in your life. There is no reality apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the essence of reality. He is the arbiter. He is the creator of reality. And when our lives come in line with his life, when our lives become a part of his eternal life, 
the life that is truly life, that abundant, overflowing life, then our lives bear that image. Our lives, our reality becomes an expression of that power, of that fusion of faith and life, and then of work and life. But it begins when we choose to align ourselves with him. He has offered himself. This, this amazing grace is his initiative. He chose to die on the cross for you, for me. And then he did what we couldn't have done for ourselves. He rose again. And when he rose again, he proved his power over sin. He proved his power over my sin, your sin, over my fear and anxiety, your anxiety and your worry. As powerful as it can be at times, it is no match for the power of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with this Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. You don't have to show up at church three out of four Sundays for 12 months a year or pass some kind of a test. You just have to pray and choose to bring your life in line with his life. And this is such a sacred moment. I want to make sure that you understand how powerful this is. And, and I want to just ask you to pray. Everybody in the room, if you would just bow your heads for a moment. Not moving or stirring or creating a distraction in anybody's life. For any reason whatsoever. But if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you just pray right now. Just right where you're sitting. Just in your own words. If you already have that relationship, then I want to invite you to be praying with everything that you've got also. But if you've never taken that step of faith, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting, just talking to God. Just silently say in your own words something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to yours. I confess my sin, all of it. In order to claim your forgiveness, Lord, all of it. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. And again, nobody moving for any reason, please. It's too important. But if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, then I want to invite you to mark this moment in a couple of ways. Number one, I want you to know that we want to help in any way that we can as a, as a family of faith. And so if you would, just let us know that God did that in the Connect card that's in the program. If you'd fill that out, 
indicate there, I, I committed my life to Christ today, and then just tear it off at the perforation and hand that to one of our ushers before you leave today. That'd be a way that we can help. That'll let us know. But then second of all, if you just prayed to step into a relationship with Christ, as our heads remain bowed in reverence, would you just quietly but unmistakably just raise your hand? Raise your hand as you mark this moment in your life and hold it up as you mark this moment in the life of this church. Saying this is real, this happened. And today is the day where everything changed. And know that as a church, we honor that and celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.